HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here talking about, what is the number, 1846. It's, it's, it seems abstract when it's not put in context, but what 1846 represents to Ferran Adria and Brett Littman of the Drawing Center is a wonderful show called Notes on Creativity. Welcome to the studio, Brett. Thank you, Michael. So th- this number, I, I think it's a fascinating thing because... Initially, Ferran Adria, who will explain who he is if, if you don't know already, chef of El Bulli, uh, one of the greatest culinary minds of you know, the last, I would say, even 100 years, um, set out to never replicate a dish using variables, using you know, this kind of abstract flow chart on how to create food. But what was seemingly infinite ended. And when it ended, luckily you were there to dig through the archives and bring it back to life. Tell me about the Drawing Center, first of all. So the Drawing Center is a nonprofit that was started in 1977 by a curator from the Museum of Modern Art named Martha Beck. Uh, Martha had gotten very frustrated at MoMA because every time she proposed a drawing show, uh, Dick Oldenburg, who was the director at the time, said, wonderful, we'll put it in a closet on the second floor. (laughs) So, you know, I think in the 1970s, um, drawing was considered very much uh, very low on the totem pole of art history. I mean, maybe even below photography and and prints and illustrated books. Um, It was always considered something secondary to uh, 
every other kind of art form and generally not considered as something in and of itself that had value both on an intellectual or commercial level. Um, Martha was quite prescient and realized that there were many artists that started to draw in the 60s and were actually primarily drawing in the 70s and not doing anything else. And she founded this institution on Green Street um, when Soho was a little scrappier. <laughs> and, you know, she, um, with $500 from one of the board members from MoMA, rented a space and began doing historical and contemporary programming. Talk about some of those artists from the 60s and 70s. Who were they and what kind of work were they making? Well, I think that even artists like Richard Serra, Michael Heiser, a lot of the land art, earth art, conceptual artists, they wanted to do huge projects that would require 40 miles of square <laughs> space and you know in the middle of the desert but in order to they could they didn't have the funds there were no galleries or museums that could show that kind of work or even support those kinds of projects so they drew and those drawings became the records of the ideas that they had and in order to support those projects i mean even um, artists like christo and jean claude they also had to draw i mean this was the kind of thing that you did and you sold those drawings and that generally supported your studio practice um, and then later there were patrons like dia or virginia duan that were uh, supporting these kinds of large-scale earth art projects out in the desert um, but up until that point in about 1977 drawing was the thing that these artists did yeah so you couldn't just put the gates up in central park and say do you like it do you want some more exactly yeah. right i mean it's, it's always good to have some sketches yeah. before you start doing something that at that scale you know Ferran, or should i call him chef Adria, i don't even know how to address him he's not even here and it feels like he's, he's you know looking out making sure uh you know everything is right in the world as far as food and creativity goes but Ferran, did he start drawing or creating these dishes first? Well, I think the interesting thing about Ferran Adria is that, um, he, and one of the things about my exhibition, which I've realized, is that it's very structuralist in the way that it's formed. Um, and by that, I simply mean that Ferran is, is a person who brings together multiple systems. And the, all of those systems were visual systems. Um, that included... In, teaching his uh, sous chefs and there was a core of about five of them that would uh, stay at the restaurant year in and year out that worked with him for over 25 years um, they would go to the test kitchen and they would exchange drawings as the beginning of the development of the new menu for the next season uh, alongside them were uh, Lukey Huber and Marta Mendez a graphic designer and industrial designer who would sit with them for the six months when they were creating the new menus and they would solve both graphic problems and industrial design problems uh, if they were looking for for a new technique or some kind of way of cutting through candy, um, Lukey might adapt a small drill with a nylon bit so that they could actually do what they wanted. Um, also develop new spoons and utensils, um, plates, glass that would uh, allow you to sniff something. So, you know, it, it was a very visual, visually based system. Uh, and I think that for Ferran, the development of the dish itself, of course, comes from his knowledge. He's very analytical in the way that he thinks. I mean, I think a lot of people think about Adria that um, he's kind of the emperor's new clothes, that he just simply, without any history and any background, just decided to upend the history of cooking. Yeah. It's just, totally not true. Just I mean, from a spuma appeared out of it, nowhere. It, it, no, it, I mean, it appears <laughs> out of his own imagination, but of course, it's based on many, many factors, and particularly based on the regional cooking of Catalan, uh, of Costa Brava, where he was the chef and, and his own background in Barcelona. Um, Ferran is an autodidactic chef. He didn't attend any kind of um, cooking schools. And the story about Ferran was that he wanted to be a professional football player, soccer player in Barcelona. Um, he ended up... Uh, 
going to business school and didn't like that. Then he, uh, his father forced him to get a job washing dishes in a restaurant in Barcelona. Then he ended up in the Navy, where he somehow landed in the Admiral's Kitchen. And in this Admiral's Kitchen was the first time that he ever worked with a, a French-trained chef. Um, and so there was someone there who actually taught him how to prepare food in the proper way. And he told me that it, that was a moment in his life where he realized that actually he had passion for food. Um, and it's the same with his brother, Albert, who also worked in the kitchen. No formal training whatsoever. Yeah, I, I love the word autodidact because, it, you know, it's an innateness. It's, it's something intrinsic in, in how you work. But he took that and formalized it, like you said, in, in a very analytical way, you know. And I want to go back to Marta uh, and, and Luki because, I mean, who else has in, an in-house graphic designer and an in-house, you know, industrial designer? I think that's... A superb step to, you know, not only create food, but create the full experience around food. But these pictograms that, that Marta and Ferran created, can you explain those? Because you look at them and they look like hieroglyphics, but they're, they're very, very important and symbolic of, of you know, the, the whole non-copying mantra. Well, I think that, you know, because Ferran's whole way of thinking about El Bulli El Bulli is not a restaurant. It actually is a concept. Um, the concept is that it was a, a place that allowed for this unfettered creativity over the course of a long period of time, 25 years. They, they cooked, uh, you know, using the restaurant as the kind of experimental site for these ideas. Um, I think in what they realized was that if the, if creativity means not copying, and that's been something that Ferran has said many times, uh, that in the end, they had to do a creative audit at the end of every season where they would look at the menus and compare them to the previous menus and then look at the future menu and make sure that whatever the dishes that they were making based on their own methodology of what a recipe was um, that they could quickly do a visual analysis so uh, marta developed pictograms which they could uh, there were originally 15 of them they do look like hieroglyphics they were printed out on sheets of paper they were cut up and made into little chips and then those chips were placed um, representing maybe gases or water or sous V or so it could be products, it could be techniques, it could be um, a plating concept, and then they were taped on to the recipes, um, and then they could flip through these books very quickly and see whether or not any of the recipes had exactly the same visuals, pictograms, in the same order. Because if they did, then it was the same recipe for them. Yeah. So it's a totally fascinating way of working. Because, you know, traditionally we think of recipes, first of all, coming down from the oral tradition. You know, maybe grandmother tells you this is how you make an apple pie. Um, secondly, it's always text-based because we have to read a recipe in order to make something again. Um, but I think that Ferran pushed recipes into the visual world so that now a recipe was not necessarily about what was written down on the page or what was transferred between from chef to chef but it actually was evaluated from the pictograms themselves it you know i'd love a domino set of those pictograms too they're they're kind of these very simple symbolic you know uh line drawings a squiggle a dot here and there but again they represent so much and they, they do have pretty large umbrellas, you know, uh, from technique to, you know, product. And how does he break down those categories? I know, I know he's done, you know, Bully DNA. I know he's done, you know, the genome studies. But th there's a method to how he constructs a dish. In, in our exhibition, there's something called the association. Um, the association was a, three different lists that Ferran made in 1987. Um, in discussing 
this particular series of lists, uh, Ferran said that he actually doesn't really understand why he did it. But he does know that, of course, many chefs have to make product lists. I mean, they have to work with their providers. So he had first started by making a list of every product that was available in Costa Brava or in Barcelona that they could get their hands on. And that's what usually a sous chef you yeah, know, calls at night. And, you know, do you, do you have, you know, X amount of this, X amount of that? Yeah. And that list was very practical. Um, then they started looking a little bit more granular about what time of year they could get this kind of cod, a male cod or a female cod or this white asparagus or what you know, whatever it was. And then they kind of started looking at what are all the different ways that these products could be elaborated? Um, and by that, it you know, could you cook asparagus in sous vide? Could you braise it? Could you grill it? Could you, um, you know, put it into a dough or whatever it was? Um, and he made a list of all the elaborations of all the products that he had found uh, that he could buy. And then the third list, which really starts to kind of build in a way the algorithm in the way that Ferran thinks, is he thought of all the dishes that could be made with all of these products. So, you know, each time he's moving from the product itself to the way that it's cooked and maybe even the tool that's used to cook it um, to the variety of dishes that could be made. And then, of course, the fourth step for Ferran is the creative step, which is to take all of this known information, um, take these three elements, put them together and add an absolutely unusual way of, or, you know, whatever it was that he wanted to do by making it into a foam or, you know, taking uh, gorgonzola cheese and flash freezing it in nitrogen oxide so that it would stay stable as a kind of object for 15 seconds and then it would start to melt. I mean, these are the things that I think that starting in about 1994 that Ferran really became known for um, in, in terms of his cooking. You know, and it's funny because if you take that list and kind of just superimpose it on the wall of the gallery, you, ha you have something very similar, which is the origins of the Spanish tortilla, which is very similar in breakdown, and it's something very known and understood, the Spanish tortilla. But it gets abstracted, too, by seeing it in so many different iterations, so many different ways you can make it. Why, why is that an important feature of the show itself? In that particular piece is called the uh, Techno Creative Pyramid. And Ferran made that pyramid, I think, in 2010. The first time I met Ferran, he opened up my notebook and he drew that pyramid and walked me through the Spanish tortilla to the puff pastry. I think for Ferran, the pyramid represents at the base is known recipes. Um, and then right above the base are chefs who simply copy known recipes. One step above that would be chefs who are embellishing on those recipes. Maybe if they look at a recipe for uh, a lamb curry, instead of using cumin, maybe they're using turmeric because it, 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 it suits their taste. Um, the next step would be combinatory uh, recipes. So now you're looking at whole families of lamb recipes uh, and maybe lamb curry recipes, but now you're adding something totally different by bringing together three or four different recipes. The last step of the pyramid for him is actually creative cooking, um, which means that you're bringing in a technical tool, maybe science, maybe something that's brand new and innovation um, in the kitchen. And now you're tr creating something totally brand new. In order to follow through, um, what Ferran has drawn is the, the Spanish tortilla, which, of course, for him is a very common, uh, you know, daily thing that, that is available in the top of any tapas place that you eat. Um, your parents probably make it for you. I mean, on a Saturday or a Sunday, um, the tortilla turns into a crepe or an omelet, a French omelet, where you fold it. Then it could also turn into a puff pastry, into some kind of dough. 
um, you know, the idea that it's a kind of flat disc. Um, and then you could layer different pastries together. You could start adding fruit. And then maybe the, the last step would be that you would have the 400 different fruits from Peru that are available that no one actually knows what to do with because they're, you know, kind of uh, Incan and Mayan uh, fruits that really there's no recipes that exist today to use them. And then you would incorporate that into your puff pastry. So at some level, you know, not only are you using new techniques and new technology and, and ovens and, you know, as the history of cooking goes on, um, where you're not just cooking with a fire and some kind of plank, um, you end up with something that's a totally new idea. But invariably, you're still making a Spanish tortilla. Well, I think that for Ferran, he is interested in kind of primary and, and, and origins. I mean, he wants to know what are the basic building blocks of cooking. For him, of course, the Spanish tortilla is the reference. But for someone in France, the Spanish tortilla would not be the reference. So he does understand that within uh, – he, he has to look at his own regional cuisine as the start for his own thinking. Um, but chefs in other places, like, for instance, in the United States, we would probably start with the pancake. That would just be something that we would know. And even the pancake is based on the crepe. So, you know, it, it, there's all kinds of cross-cultural references that, that would, uh, in order for us to really understand the genealogy of that particular creative pyramid for the U.S., it probably starts somewhere else. But the concept would be the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, you were talking about the, the, the combinatorial. How do you say that word? The, the combination of creativity, that intersection. And that's, I mean, really what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but then he goes even further and incorporates disciplines. It's not just about, you know, putting this dish with this dish or this, you know, flavor with this flavor. Actual disciplines, you know, from architectural to, to, to design. So, I mean... It's so cross-curricular. It, it, it's, you know, so outside of the kitchen. And that's what brings me to it being in a museum. We were talking right before the show about, you know, uh, the idea of taking this chef's work and, you know, actually having a show. How did that come to be? It was a multi-course meal over numerous hours. Well, it's a, it's a nice story. I mean, I think it's one of those examples um, when you work in a creative field, you know, sometimes you have to take some big risks and you, you have to put yourself out there. Um, I, I went to El Bulli. We were very lucky, my wife and I, to get a reservation in 2010 uh, through, to be totally honest, some Spanish intrigue where we were able to uh, find someone who knew the driver of Ferran in Madrid. I mean, it was some <laughs> crazy story. But And actually, we even kind of forgot that, that someone had promised that they were going to get us a reservation. We got our email in April. Um, you have a seat for, you know, four seats for June 24th. We canceled all our plans. We booked a ticket immediately to Barcelona um, and dropped everything we were doing and, and had a 37-course meal that started at 8 and ended at 2.30 in the morning. It was the most transformative dining experience I've ever had. It was an absolutely fantastic, brilliant presentation. Um, it was not the best tasting food that I've ever had <laughs> in my life, but there was something about it. I mean, gr you know, growing up, I worked in restaurants at the River Cafe and, and Petrosian um, in college in order to make some extra cash like during Charlie winter Palmer breaks. and David Burke. Yeah, time, Charlie yeah. Palmer, David Burke, and and you know, I learned a lot about fine dining. I, I surely understood what that meant. Um, I was not cooking, but I was working mostly in front of house. Uh, but I knew a lot of the chefs and I, I, I started to cook myself, you know, uh, during that period of time. So I read a lot 
of cookbooks. I mean, the, going to El Bulli was like winning the Willy Wonka golden ticket. I mean, you know, you, you had to go there. I'd heard many things from friends in the art world. And the art world had been intersecting with El Bulli for quite a long time. I mean, Ferran was invited to be part of Documenta in 2007. It was an incredibly controversial um, position to take because there were many people in Spain who went absolutely crazy that a chef was invited, not an artist, to participate in the world's most important 10-year exhibition. Uh, and he, you know, got slammed from, yeah. all, from all sides. Well, I mean, aside from that, how far away was he actually from Casel? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, almost well, 900 you, miles. Yes, and you'd have, every day someone would go to Documenta and they would win tickets and a flight to El Bulli and they would have a meal. <laughs> so, you know, it could be a plumber who just yeah. happened to walk in with his wife or, of course, a lot of people in the art world who were going specifically to see yeah. the show. Well, I feel like that was the start of, you know, this gastronomic travel that's really exploded in the past, you know, 10, 15 years too. And intentionally or not, Documenta was either poking fun at it or highlighting, you know, the fact that, like you, Got these reservations at a bully, dropped everything, traveled for that, and you kind of do little things on the side. But you're traveling for that meal. Yes, but I would travel also for a fish taco in Hawaii <laughs> that I heard was in a good yeah. you know, good truck. I mean, I, that's my life. I mean, yeah. I, I do travel for food. And I think there are many other people uh, that I know that will go far and wide to eat, um, you know, to go to... Uh, Texas to the famous barbecue place in that town. I can't now. I'm going to space on it. Uh, the Kreitz's market. Oh yeah, yeah. you know, and it, it, you you just do that. Yeah. I mean, so that that's not unusual. But of course, buying a plane ticket to go to Barcelona yeah. is a little bit more <laughs> than just simply yeah. driving your car an hour to go out of your way to get a rib. That said, um, after the meal, you know, I uh, Ferran gave us a copy of De Adel Bulli in Spanish on the plane ride home. I was flipping through the book, and I did notice that there were a lot of photographs of him making drawings, and there were a couple of drawings that were published in that Fiden book. My Spanish is not very good, so I couldn't read the text, and I just put that in the back of my mind as something that I would want to come back to. I mean, I just wondered, does Ferran draw? I mean, that would be kind of amazing, uh, you know, to be able to work with him on something at the Drawing Center, an institution that has always pushed the boundaries of both in terms of what drawing is and the fact that drawing is quite universal and in many different mediums and disciplines. In 2011, Adam Gopnik wrote a piece about the future of dessert. Um, and in that piece, he specifically mentioned that Ferran and Albert, his brother, exchanged drawings in the test kitchen. And then really, like, all my antenna went up. I mean, immediately after reading that article, I asked Joanna Romano, my um, assistant curator, let's write a letter to Ferran. I-, I never expected that he would write me back. And I-, I had a pretty, not a heavy-handed position, but I said, you know, look, we all know that the history of art is very tied up with still lifes and food, and there's a whole intersection. And, you know, we can go back to Dutch still lifes. So we can look through the history of both old masters to contemporary work. Um, and I said, I wonder whether or not you draw. It would be something that I would be interested in exploring. And, you know, if you feel like you'd like to share anything by email, you know, please send me your your images. Um, We heard back from Ferran in about three weeks, a very long note. uh, And of course, later I learned the the true story. Um, He got my email and he was about to delete it. Um, He was not super interested in working with museums. There had been many museums that actually had already approached him to make exhibitions. But Ferran at that point uh, announced that El Bulli was closing. I think he was beginning to think about his future. And he was beginning to think about ways for him to look at his own practice from the outside. 
Um, and art had always been interesting to him, and the art world had been interesting to him because of his relationship with Documenta and with Richard Hamilton, uh, who was the only person who aided Obeli uh, from 1963 to 2001. And Ferran learned a lot from Richard, a lot about the vocabulary of art, the language of art, and also what it means to have an aesthetic approach. He did reach out to a couple of the colleagues, um, fortunately, some people that knew the Drawing Center and knew me personally. And I think all of them immediately wrote back to Fran within two seconds, like, no, no, the Drawing Center is very important. <laughs> you should at least respond. I mean, yeah. don't, don't just delete the email. Um, and I'm very fortunate that those people came to bat for the institution because he wouldn't know me or know this institution uh, at all. Uh, he decided uh, to meet with us in March of 2011. And Joanna and I thought we would probably have about 10 minutes of his time. And he ended up staying at the drawing center for about three hours. And at the end of that conversation, he basically said, come to Barcelona. I'll open up my doors. If you think that there's something that's there that's worthwhile, I'll let you pursue it. Wow. Uh, and in June, uh, I took a team of my staff to Barcelona. And we spent about four days working in the archive with Ferran. It was an absolutely terrifying, exhausting, um, totally inspiring four days. We didn't leave with any firm commitment one way or the other, but we definitely saw a lot of things, and I knew that there was a show that could be made. Well, we're going to actually take a quick break and come back and actually start at the beginning, the Big Bang. Sounds good. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here again with Brett Littman of the Drawing Center. We're talking about notes on creativity for Ron Adria's wonderful drawing show. And, you know, I said Big Bang. And, it, you know, that's the beginning of a lot of things. But it was the beginning of Ferran's drawing as well. When you enter the gallery, kind of going counterclockwise right to the right after the you know little mission statement there are these childlike almost uh, drawings on the wall and i apologize for saying childlike but i, I love artists like Cy twombly and you know I, I know it's a skill to be able to kind of draw and project like that and i really do think ferran has that ability but these drawings are very interesting in their hand. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that wall represents? Well, it was interesting in uh, when I started going to El Bulli, to the archive, and to the Atelier to do research on the exhibition in 2011. Probably in my second trip in maybe late 2011, early 2012, Ferran pulled out uh, about 15 drawings, and he said... 
I'm starting to draw the history of cooking. I, I want to really understand it. But I made a timeline and I made a chart and I made a pencil sketch of uh, uh, of some ideas. But the only way that I'm finding that I could actually understand it is by making a storyboard. Um, Ferran had been working already with anthropologists, um, with scientists. He had been doing a lot of research into the history of recipes. There were stacks of books of you know from the 1400s of Xeroxes of the earliest recipes, and I think that this also fed into Ferran's way of thinking, which again I call visualization. I mean, he always is going to that position in order to understand things. So um, he, on old elderly letterhead, started to make a series of drawings um, at. The first were about 15, starting at the Big Bang and moving into the Neolithic period. And in the end, there currently are 214 of these drawings that he's made that really cover the whole history of cooking in humanity. And I think that these drawings, what he's trying to figure out are some basic milestones. Um, at what point <coughs> did man use fire? At what point did someone crack an egg and separate a yolk uh, from an egg white? Um, at what point did actually commerce become part of the, the, the heritage of cooking? You know, who exchanged flour for olive oil? Because for the most part, people were making these products for their own personal use up until some point in history, um, when all of a sudden there was a kind of commercial side uh, to making elaborated products for cooking. Later, the idea of restaurants, so the exchange of money to sit and actually have cooking done by someone other than your family. Um, and, you know, progressing all the way to today, where we have restaurants like El Bulli, which essentially are art projects, I mean, or, or projects that are well beyond the simple thing of putting good food on uh, in front of you and sitting at a table and having a 20 or 30 minute experience with food. These experiences may last for hours. Um, so I think that it's totally fascinating that Ferran ended up making these drawings as a way to kind of understand this history. <laughs> You know, it, it takes someone like Ferran Adria to sit there and say, well, I'm going to draw history, you know, re related back to food. Um, and it is his hand. It is, he is the artist of those drawings. Except for, what, the last panel, number 60. No, no, he, it, this is drawing yeah. too, but, um, and, and you mentioned that they kind of have a little bit of a neo-naive kind yeah. of childlike. Uh, Ferran never has said that he's a very good renderer or drawer. He's not uh, trained as an artist. However, in the show, in one of our creativity vitrines, which has some notebooks, um, I did find a notebook from 1992 when he spent a summer with uh, an, uh, an artist, a sculptor from Catalan, who actually made the bull's head that sat in the restaurant for many years. Um, and Ferran would cook for the sculptor, and then during the day they would draw sculpture together. Um, Ferran would then cook a meal, and then at night they would also draw again. So Ferran somewhere along the way was interested in even what the idea of drawing was um, as a discipline in relationship to making sculpture. So this is all to say that this has informed the way that he thinks. Um, Obviously, you know, <laughs> the New Yorker had a, a little bit of a snarky uh, review of the show and they said something like, oh, those drawings look like a, a, a 10th rate Kippenberger because, it, <laughs> of course, Kippenberger was drawing on the hotel stationery and making these kinds of rudimentary childlike drawings. I mean, listen, uh, I go to a lot of museums and a lot of galleries. Ferran's drawings kind of, I mean, they stand up with just the rest of the, you know, a lot of stuff that I see. Um, they're not so far off from the general aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I don't really like the word childlike and it, let's say playful mm -hmm. um in and in, in that same vein so is his food and you have this recreation of a dish uh la minestra 
Can we elaborate on that a little bit? Well, to me, in a way, if you come to the drawing center, um, you know, there the, the show is laid out in an interesting way. Around the walls of the outer gallery or the deeper philosophy, the vitrines are kind of the practical applications of that philosophy. And then we have an inner cube in which all the work from the archive uh, is there and all the kind of preparatory drawings and really heavy conceptual stuff that uh, actually helped Ferran and his team to make the dishes. In one of the vitrines are three objects. One is a small notebook from 1994, and on July 6th, I believe it was, uh, Ferran had the idea to deconstruct uh, a stew, a vegetable stew dish called La Minestra. Um, He made a quick sketch, and in that sketch were every single element that would be in this stew, but now discrete. Um, And then sitting next to that is a, a glass dish in which there are plasticine models exactly to the scale of the way that he wanted to construct the dish. And then sitting next to that is a photograph of the actual dish. For Ferran, La Minestra is his first real attempt at techno-emotional cuisine. Uh, and it really represents a, a big breakthrough for him, um, which I think he followed through from 1994 to 2011. In that dish, in order to have the vegetable stew, you would actually have to take one element on your spoon from every single deconstructed piece of that dish. And that might be almond foam. It could be guacamole, uh, avocado uh, puree. It could be um, beetroot um, mashed. I mean, you know, so he was really playing around with how to make the stew. Uh, And I think it's totally fascinating that he would create this total disjunction between what your expectations are. I mean, if you saw La Minestra on a menu, you'd expect you're having a soup. Yeah. But now you're having solids and you can have the soup, the taste of the soup or the feeling of the soup or the memory of the soup, but only if you reconstruct it on your spoon. Yeah. And I keep on going back to this child's play because La Minestra is pretty much a minestrone. And, you know, when a child learns, he's usually given the elements and build something. And this is, you know, that, that kind of opposite arrow back into those elements and you kind of feel like a child when you eat something like that. You know, there's this recall, there's this sense memory that happens. And it, though, you know, progresses your thought of how things are constructed, it's it, it's it's something that, you know, uh, is from years ago. Well, Ferrana said, you know, that um, he remembers being told not to play with his food. And then later he asked the question, why not? <laughs> I mean, so, you know, I, I do think that in his meals, um, and it, this is not often talked about, but the idea of surprise, humor, wit, um, which are not things that often we associate with food itself, um, were very much <laughs> fundamental to the way that he constructed his his menu. Um, and also by eliminating the, any boundaries between the sweet and savory worlds, um, I think that, you know, if you start off having your meal with dessert, you're, you're totally perplexed. Um, and that's the thing that I really respect about him as a chef and as a thinker is the idea of playfulness, the idea of the childlike um, sensibility of what food can be. Whether or not that directly relates to these drawings, um, you know, it, I, I'm not sure I would make a direct link between those two things. But I think that Fran, in some ways, with the drawings, 
he wanted to be immediate. He didn't want it to be too thought out. He didn't want it to feel like a scientific research project, although there is a timeline and a kind of whole structure mm-hmm. that goes along with those drawings. Um, obviously, I'm only showing 60, so I'm also might be miss- missing several million years of time <laughs> because I had to kind of squeeze them into uh, the space. Um, but I do think that in some ways, um, that's his, that is his approach. I mean, he, he's going to take um, an unusual approach to things, and sometimes that approach is going to also include humor i mean those drawings are very funny i don't know if you notice like the dinosaurs are extinct and she just makes it like a bad dinosaur and crosses it out with an x or guys are fishing and it's just like a bunch of stick figures with spears you know trying to spear fish in a river so what i don't understand is why are people not considering it art i mean it has an approach it has a specific point of view and i think art should have commentary or humor and it has all those elements so what about it isn't considered art well, somehow, I, I mean, there, there seems to be a lot of t- two big discussions. I mean, before the show opened, I spent about three weeks um, with most of the Spanish newspapers um, who the only qu- the only question the journalists were asking me was, you're saying Fran's an artist. Uh, the argument of whether or not Fran is an artist or not, I actually do believe that he comes as close to being an artist in the way that he approaches things because he takes an approach that is not just from one position. The approach to to, cool, to good gastronomy for Ferran comes from architecture, engineering, science, graphic design, visual art. Um, he's taking all these terms. Sometimes he doesn't, to be totally frank, doesn't know what the terms mean per se. I mean, the, sem- the total semantic aspects of it, but he's like a sponge. And he enjoys the idea of using language, even from the language of, of tech and business, um, the genome. I mean, he's taking that directly from basically Pandora, I mean, or Artsy or, you know, these kinds of um, genome projects on the web. Uh, but I, I, what, I, what I think in the end is that there's somehow this sense that, first of all, I mean, Ferran is very much a provocateur and, and a lightning rod even in the food world. I mean, if you remember, there was the big arguments with, uh, I think it was uh, the, the chef from uh, Cellar Con Roca who said that Fran was going to poison the people who came to El Bulli because he cooked with all these chemicals. Um, there have been many people who have said that he is a total charlatan, I mean, in terms of, you know, and an elitist because the restaurant was uh, only available to 8,000 people a year and 6 million people wanted to go. But Ferran basically set up the restaurant so that it would uh, meet his own personal goals, which was to actually, again, be a vehicle for creativity. Um, in terms of the cooking, again, one might argue that the food wasn't the best tasting food that you had. But if you like dining, it was a totally profound dining experience. And he's the chef that thought about everything from the, the way that you entered into the restaurant to how you sat down to the, 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 the courses themselves to the fact that you don't get the menu until the end of the meal. And by the way, um, just to set the record straight, when we went to El Bulli, you're never told actually how much the meal is. Um, the meal was 250 euro, which, to be totally frank, was not the most expensive meal that I've ever had, given that it was a 37-course meal. And Ferran allowed you to bring your own wine in without a corkage fee. So he felt that since he was forcing you to have his meal, that you could do what you would like. And, you know, that's very rare in a, in a fine dining s- scenario. Yeah, you think about the financial sustainability of a project like that, too. Totally. For a restaurant that's only open six months out of the year. With one seating, yeah. with 50 chefs, with 50 servers, with 50 diners, totally not sustainable. Yeah. I mean, the restaurant broke even, and I think, you know, Ferran made his money by giving speeches and by sponsorships and by deals with his book deals with Fiden and other companies um, and probably developing products, you know, with other entities. But um, the restaurant was just simply a- about supporting 
the team to be creative. And at the end of 25 years, you know, I think that he had realized that the combinatory algorithms that allowed him to make 1,846 dishes, the horizon of that was ending, that there was going to be a limit. Um, and I think wisely, he just hung up his toque and, and, and said, I'm stopping here. <laughs> Let's talk about that last dish, yeah. peach melba. What, what is it? Well, peach melba is a very traditional dish. Um, I, it's an Escoffier uh, dish. It is probably something that hasn't been on a menu in, in the United States since about 1950. Uh, but it was a dish, from what I understand from Ferran and other chefs, that you basically learn in cooking school. It's one of the kind of um, fundamental dishes. And for the last dish at El Bulli in 2011, when they closed the restaurant, Ferran invited many kids from the local schools around uh, Rosas, where the restaurant was located, um, his own chefs and all the stagiari that were working at the time at El Bulli, and they had a little competition. They looked at the – actually, he, I have the original printout that he made from Wikipedia of the Peach Melba dish, um, and they all deconstructed and drew the Peach Melba in the way that they would serve it. They had a contest, and um, the winning dish was what was served as the last dish at Obuli. I think for Ferran, this is that brings together a lot of his own interests, which is the history of food, which he's quite knowledgeable about, the idea of taking a traditional dish and turning it on its head, and also the visualization aspect of it. The way to creativity is not to simply change the words and mix things around, it's to draw it and to think about all the component parts. So in those drawings of Peach Melba, there's some fantastic kids' drawings of a peach pit, you know, of a kind of um, a peach tree that would be, have been served, you know, on ice cream. So, you know, it's, it's very funny. I mean, it, it also is a great sense of humor. Yeah. Actually, it reminded me there was this amazing display right next to that of all these very formal drawings of plating with no food you know, backing that up. They they were just literally exercises in, in plating and shape and color and, and, and form. Well, this is something that Fran and his brother did. I mean, those drawings uh, date from about 2000 to 2004. They started making plating diagrams, um, looking at only the formal qualities of maybe color and shape. And then later, if they liked the way that it looked on the plate, they would kind of reverse engineer and try to find the food that would match that. In some of those drawings, I mean, people are pointing out, oh, but there looks like drawings of mushrooms or cherries. Well, if there was a mushroom, they might have made it out of almonds. I mean, you know, it didn't matter. It, it, it was just the idea of the form. Um, so those were just stand-ins for shapes. And I don't think that there's any other chef that I know of that works in that way. They did actually create some of those dishes from uh, the, the, those sketches on the plates. Yeah, I mean, there's so much information. And, you know, you said... Initially, you only spent four days going through the archives, but you've been back many times since. But to pull from all that and try to organize a show, it took you years. Uh, two years of work, and you know, probably in that archive are half a million documents. There's probably four or five hundred notebooks. Fortunately, Mark Cusperini, uh, who is the archivist and has worked with at the restaurant for 25 years, um, knows where every piece of paper is. I don't think I could have done the show without him and without his support, because of course, you know, I'm walking in, and if I just blindly pulled these notebooks off the shelf, uh, it would be uh, looking for a needle in a haystack. Um, it was definitely an adventure. Um, there was one time, I think on my second trip, where Ferran sent me home in the middle of the day, <laughs> and he said, um, go home and, and rewrite the whole thesis for the show. Um, and it was kind of terrifying, because I thought, oh, man, this is just going to like totally bottom out, or I'm not going to come back, and he's not going to like it. 
by that point, we had talked a lot about creativity. So I started moving away from the idea of drawings of food or even the relationship to the art in general. I mean, you know, I was looking at first for this idea of the still life and something that I could really relate to the history of art. And by the second trip and the third trip, for sure, I realized that actually what we're talking about is a whole conceptual underpinning for how creativity works. Um, and I think then Ferran got very excited because these were issues that he was really trying to bring to the fore. Um, he's talked about them. He's written about them in books, but no one has really kind of held on to that aspect. People are too concerned about when are you going to open up your another next restaurant or, <laughs> you know, what kind of food do you like to eat when you're at home? Or, you know, questions like this, the journalist asks, no one really asked him, why do you think creativity is important yeah. in, in human culture? And then we got into that conversation and then the whole thing just opened up. Yeah, I mean, he isn't opening another restaurant now. Bullypedia is is kind of the next venture, and it is all the things that you've kind of done. I mean, I, I really feel like you, you've you done something wonderful with this show by creating some kind of protocol for him to actually exhibit a uh, work on Bullypedia, the, the online resource. Well, Ferran has been very generous in, in saying that, you know, the working with the drawing center and working with me has allowed him to also reevaluate over the past couple of years um, a lot of what he's done uh, looking at things that he's kind of forgotten because i've really gone back in the archive right to the beginning in 1987 the bully pd project has been ongoing um, and it, it was ongoing even by the time i arrived in barcelona he was already thinking about it um, in 2011 that is going to be an online <coughs> database of basically every product every technique every way to elaborate a plate there will be chefs that will be in charge of different areas, like there'll be a chef who will be in charge of white asparagus. And like <coughs> Wikipedia, um, as a home chef, you will be able to log on, you'll be able to look up the product, you'll be able then to build your own recipe using Ferran's methodology. And if that recipe, quote unquote, works, um, you could submit it and it might be added to the Bullypedia catalog. Um, also, if you happen to know something about white asparagus historically or uh, know something, an aberration about it or a place where it grows that it's very unusual, you can then uh, email and say, I have a piece of information that should be in Bullypedia and that chef would evaluate it. And if it you know, passes the, 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 um, the test, uh, so to speak, it can be added into the database. It's a totally fascinating thing for me because, you know, Michael, a lot of chefs don't really like sharing. I mean, you know, the, the, one of the things about cooking is, well, I'll tell you everything but my secret recipe, uh, the secret sauce or the dry rub for this. Uh, since the beginning, Ferran has been all about sharing. Um, and even in 1998, he published a small book that was available for like $5 on a Spanish newsstand that was called The Secrets of El Bulli with little hand drawings. And he gave it all away right then. Um, so Bullypedia, I think, is an extension of that generosity. Um, some people may feel that it's a little bit more colonial in the way that he wants to take over all of food. <laughs> I don't view it that way. Yeah. I actually think it's a generous act. And he is concerned about setting up languages, shared languages in a way. I mean, I don't think it has to be his terminology necessarily, but he is interested in chefs having a shared language. And Bullypedia may help to to codify that. Yeah, right when you were starting that, uh, you know section i wrote down transparency and sense of community mm -hmm. and it, he is very generous he is very giving and i only hope to receive more of his knowledge and information and thank you for being you know that surrogate of of some part you know of of this larger scope of what is Ferran Adria. um and if you've not been to the drawing center everyone must go the show is up till what friday february 28th. february 28th and then it will go to la and open on may 24th at the ace museum in beverly hills and it will actually um maybe come to a city near you it has a pretty extensive tour both in the u.s and internationally 
Excellent. Thank you so much for being Thanks, on, Michael. Brett. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.